So are you thinking about diversity for your organization? You know that it's more than just hiring a woman into your ranks, but you're still not quite sure what to do? Well, have we got a podcast for you. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Will. Todd Wilms. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have Lily Zhang on. She is the author of Gender Ambiguity in the Workplace, Transgender and Gender Diverse Discrimination. She is a consultant and former Stanford researcher. She has an amazing way of breaking down diversity and inclusion into a lens that people can understand and understand the complexity of it, the depth of it, and how to tackle it and what it looks like and what it will do for your organization. I'm not going to give too much away because she does such a fantastic job of explaining it. So sit back, take a listen as we discuss workforce diversity and inclusion today on the podcast. Lily, very excited to have you on. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me to chat with you. This is going to be awesome. We're going to be talking about cool stuff and I'm excited. Well, that's that's great. So listen, what we do with everybody is uh, tell us a little about yourself. Who are you and why are you here? Sure thing. So my name is Lily Zhang. I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant, um, executive coach, and author. Um, I recently published my first book, Gender Ambiguity in the Workplace, Transgender and Gender Diverse Discrimination, um, last year in April. Feels weird to say last year now. <laughs> um, and I've been doing this sort of consulting work for about two or three years now. Fantastic. So we're going to make a point of at the end of the podcast telling you where you can find the book and, and talking about the title again, but, but let's dive in. So, you know, that's part of why you and I um, got connected and you came to my attention was the, the book and the work that you've been doing. So, uh, look, I think this is one of those topics where if you were to ask people and say, what do you think about diversity? A lot of nodding heads. People would say, yes, that's something we're interested in. Right. But I think we got to start at this baseline. How are you thinking about, how are you defining, how are you quantifying this idea of diversity and inclusion? Let's start there. Let's establish a baseline, and then I think we can build from that. That's an excellent question. So how most people in the industry think about diversity is as diversity of identity. And so people think about it as diversity in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of ability, whether you know, you're disabled or not. Um, in terms of religion, nationality, class status, how much money you have. Um, There are also many who think about diversity in terms of lived experiences. And so some people say, um, oh, I grew up in this neighborhood that's close to to my constituent. Therefore, you know, that's an important experience to have. And so having many people with different experiences constitutes diversity as well. Um, But you definitely hit on something good. Um, to note, which is that it's a really nebulous term and people don't always know what we're talking about when we talk about diversity. So for the purposes of this conversation, we can talk about diversity as a sort of identity or experience that makes you unique compared to, you know, some other people around you. And here's, here's the trick. It turns out everyone is actually diverse. Like everyone actually has a unique experience. And so I like this framing because it allows everyone to kind of have a stake in the diversity conversation instead of labeling some people as you're not diverse and labeling other people as you are diverse. It's everyone is diverse and we need to find a way to make space for everyone. Well, I, I remember a number of years ago, I interviewed with a company out in the Northeast and, and I asked them about their diversity and they said, well, we absolutely believe in diversity. We hire people from Boston College and Boston University. <laughs> and, 
And they were sort of joking, but not really, right? And so I think that's, you know, you talk about growing up in neighborhoods or growing up in geographies. I think there's still a belief system of, you know, I want people who mirror, mimic, align Mm -hmm. with me because that's that's easy, right? It's easy to have people that, not necessarily sycophants, but it's easy to have people that have the similar point of view because you know it's easier to reach consensus with that. Right, and it's more comfortable. And, and this is the thing about diversity. Diversity is inherently uncomfortable. And that's the thing that I don't think many people get. They expect to have you know, a bunch of happy chummy folks that all went to the same school as them and maybe one of them's black. Diversity, right? It's <laughs> really not. <laughs> yeah, so uh, how do people start interacting with that? I mean, I think this is one of those things that's a real challenge is uh, it's one thing to say, yes, we want diversity, but it's another thing to realize it's messy and it's it's hard and it's challenging and sometimes downright confrontational. How how are you talking to companies about really pulling back those sort of layers and saying, look, diversity is not an easy path for you. It might be the right one. It probably is the right one, but how do you how do you sort of think through those pieces and how are you talking to companies about actually building these types of programs? Yeah. So the very first step is to help them understand why it is that they want diversity. And this is a strange question um, because everyone will nod their head and say, oh, we want diversity because diversity is good. We want diversity because um, diversity brings more innovation. Diversity makes our teams more creative. Diversity makes our teams more productive. These are all the... This is the uh, Harvard Business Review tagline, um, headline style of talking about diversity. And all of these things are true. Diversity does bring all these things, but companies don't actually understand how it does that. And so you see them kind of repeating these kind of business school platitudes about how important diversity is, um, but because they don't actually have a, a, a deeper level understanding of what it means, they're, they're kind of floundering. They're in the dark. And so none of their efforts to actually make diversity happen are effective. And so my first conversation with them is, why do you actually want diversity? So you say you want innovation. Well, innovation is about, you know, having really intense conflict and failing fast and having difficult conversations and bringing in different viewpoints. Like, do you actually want that? Do you actually want to be arguing during your meetings? Do you actually want to be challenged on your ideas? And sometimes the answer is no. Right? And sometimes the answer is our company or myself or um, our, our stakeholders don't actually want that right now. And something that I, that I wish my clients told me more is we don't actually need diversity right now. I don't agree with it. Right? I think everyone needs diversity all the time. Right. But I wish people understood a little more about what diversity actually meant for their company and whether they're ready or not to, to start the journey of making it work. Well, so it sounds like it's the the diversity for the sake of optics. Exactly. And and even maybe a, a, a true belief in, you know what, I think we need to have a more uh, equal footing stake for people within the organization. That may be true as well. Mm-hmm. But I think it, your conflict there comes into, well, okay, now we're really talking about what does this look like for you? And is this the best path forward? And, and you're right. Some of them may come in and say, no, not at this time. This is not, not in our best interest, especially at our early right. stages or whatever journey the company's on. Right. It's, it's much better from a con- consulting standpoint to actually work with someone that's willing to do the work than to realize halfway through the gig that they're not actually ready to implement what you have given them. And then you're entered into a, an, 
an awkward political battle with the, with the CEO, right? Because he doesn't actually want to do it. Well, and so once you get to that place, that conversation with them, and there's this proverbial fork in the road, do you, do you find some companies pulling back and saying, you know, we're going to hold off on our on our diversity and inclusion programs? No, or I no, don't. they still, they go full speed ahead, huh? They go full speed ahead. And I think it's because they don't actually understand what it means. I think people really have this desire to bring in a consultant. The consultant says, um, I don't know, put a bow on it. They put a bow on it. <laughs> and everyone's really happy. And that's never, ever, ever what consulting work looks like. And if it does look like that, then, then your consultant is, in fact, just making a bunch of money off of you for doing nothing. Because right. work is grueling. It's really difficult. It's, it's often the work of long-term culture change, of creating structural change. Um, and we're going to be talking about founders soon. Usually in, in small companies, in startups, there isn't very much priority in in creating structure. Usually it's like move fast, right? But when, you, when we move fast, we do prioritize um, in terms of, of social interactions and relationships with people that make us feel comfortable. And so when we start bringing in diversity, that often brings up this huge um, hornet's nest of conversations around, we probably should have some sort of formal system for, for codifying how promotion works. We probably should have some sort of formal benefits instead of our CEO just kind of hand-waving it and being like, yeah, take a vacation, whatever, right? Um, we probably should have an HR instead of Susan, who's also coding on the side and has just done HR on the side. Um, and these are all very important conversations to have. And, and oftentimes, like I said, companies just aren't ready to have them. Well, and this is, you know, one of the things that's been interesting has been, you know, talking to founders and talking to startups in particular over the last year. One of the things that I heard time and time again was uh, this, this realization of, you know, the culture of the company, right? And, and that's a loaded term as well. But the culture of the company is something that they look up one day and go, we've got a culture. And what they failed to realize for a variety of probably good reasons was, you know, the culture was building all along. No one was just paying attention to it. No mm -hmm. one was managing it. Exactly. And, and I think there's some similarities here in terms of what you're talking about. Companies wake up and they're like, wait a minute, we all look identical in the mirror in terms yeah. of it on every level, background, um, on gender, on religion, on you name it. We all look like identical copycats, and now we've got to go in and change that. And so suddenly it becomes these, like companies do with culture, right? They have these sort of cultural changes. Yep. Well, they have a diversity change, and that's a really painful process, even more painful than building it from, the script, from scratch. It's not something that many founders are aware of, though. And I think it's because they look in the mirror, and what they should be thinking is, all of us interact in a certain way. All of us share the same references. All of us share the same in-group jokes. Um, but what they end up thinking is, huh, we're all white men. How do we fix that? Uh, let's just get a woman. And so they focus all their hiring on getting one woman, bring her in, and then they pat themselves on the back and say, all right, we did it. We got our diversity. Um, oh, we're still all white. Let's, let's bring in like a, like a Latino man, right? And so they... Um, hire a Latino person, they're like, great, now we got race. But what hasn't been done is they haven't worked to change what's under the hood. They haven't worked to change any of their underlying culture, any of their in-group references, any of their norms, the fact that they all went to the same school and can share war stories about the same professor. That stuff is, is all under the surface. And even if your company 
looks like it has diversity in, in terms of race and gender and ethnicity and class, et cetera, um, that's, that's in some ways the easy work. It is pretty, it's, it's, it's not completely easy, but it's not mm -hmm. the hardest thing in the world to just hire somebody who looks different from you. The hardest thing is keeping them. The hardest thing is actually making your company into a place that welcomes them and accepts them and helps them actually realize their potential as a quote unquote, you know, diverse member of the organization. Well, and you know, what's interesting too is uh, I think there's something from the other end as well. And it's the, it's the optics from the candidate. It's from the, the optics of people wanting to do business, interact, engage, or come on board with those companies. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had, a number of friends who uh, looked at a few, you know, unicorn companies here in Silicon Valley and the companies were on a, you know, rocket ship ride doing very, very well, but they looked across the board and they saw from their leadership teams, they saw, you know, all white men, copycats. And as women said, this isn't an organization that I want to be a part of that I feel that I can do well in and went to other more lucrative careers in other places. So right. there's the one thing of, of inside looking in and continuing to look within your organization. But then there's another piece of it of, hey, what are the optics from the outside? And what are we losing in terms of candidates, quality of people that are not willing to come on board that we never hear about? Absolutely. And I think this actually dovetails really nicely into the whole inclusion needs to come before diversity conversation, because it is what these candidates see. When these candidates go into the hiring process and they see a process that's, you know, all let's just call it entitled frat bro behavior. Um, no one actually wants to join that company. And so even if the candidates are diverse, if your company hasn't done some work to begin with to make it more inclusive, even if there isn't anyone currently there that would benefit from the inclusion, right? You need to do the inclusion first to get the diversity on board. And this is something that every single client that I've ever worked with across the board, 100% um, gets wrong. They, they mix up their priorities. They, they, they usually receive some external shock or there's some um, stakeholder that isn't happy or there's some media blow up and they say, oh gosh, we need diversity. We need to get this diversity now. And so they actually go through the hiring process and they find some diverse talent after a long search. Um, and then the talent leaves after six, six months. And everyone's scratching their heads and going, well, I guess, you know, women just don't fit in at this company, right? It's, it's like, well, you, you haven't made them feel welcome, right? You haven't. So, so you've, you've opened the door for them and they've looked inside and, and they see a pigsty. No one wants to go into a company like that. No one wants to stay in a company like that. And oftentimes people are too busy focusing on the optics, like you said, of diversity um, and not actually caring about the real outcomes um, of the people who they hire or, you know, and, and maybe they're not even hiring these people to begin with. All right. So there's, there's no silver bullet here and there's no punch list that you can follow. Like there's no, uh, you know, business insider or, or, you know, HuffPro post of 10 things to do to build diversity, right? Five mm -hmm. things, five steps for inclusion. But there are some things that if a founder is listening to this and going, you know what, we've been doing this wrong. This is important to me. I want to learn how to do this better. Talk through some of the first couple of steps, the, the, the processes, the mindset that needs to happen to help organizations to start rethinking, recalibrating along these lines. Yeah. I would say the absolute first one is build vulnerability and psychological safety. Like that's just at the top 
of my chart. Um, and what do I mean by that? So let's talk about psychological safety first. It's a concept um, that comes from social science that talks about our willingness to mess up publicly, our willingness to um, make mistakes, to fail, and do so knowing that we're not going to lose our jobs, we're not going to lose other people's respect, we're not going to have people laugh at us. Um, it's this, this idea that you know, you and I are going to work together and I'm going to put my full self into this and I'm going to mess up sometimes terribly and you're going to say no matter what, I'm so glad that you're here, your work is awesome, you are valid as a coworker. Um, psychological safety, so Google recently, well, not recently anymore, um, five, five to, to ten years ago did a study on what made their best team so good and across the board there was only one unifying factor and it was psychological safety. Um, teams that feel more psychologically safe, teams that feel like they can mess up and still move forward are way more likely to have innovation, to be creative, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, founders, you need to make a psychologically safe workplace for everyone. And that's, that's, the, that's the addendum, right? For everyone. Your workplace is probably psychologically safe for you and your friends from college, right? That's great. But is it psychologically safe uh, for, let's just throw something out there, right? A Syrian refugee who comes to the area looking for work and is pretty good at the field that you're in and decides to apply it to your company, right? Does that person feel like they can make mistakes and not be judged? And if not, how can you go about creating that? That's one of the big questions. Um, and then vulnerability. Um, how do you get vulnerable? How do you, how do you put your full self on the line even when it's really uncomfortable? So maybe you'll say something and a colleague will say, um, God, that was actually extremely hurtful and makes me feel like shit, right? Everyone in that situation is going to tense up, their heart rate's going to go up, they're, they're, they might blush, right? It's a really uncomfortable state. And since many of us are, are unfamiliar with it, we just immediately get defensive. We say, like, you must not be understanding, you, you're, you're attacking me right now, mm. that wasn't appropriate, like, how dare you, I, I'm a great person, I'm such a nice guy, right, blah, blah, blah. Um, and these sorts of things shut down the really important conversations that should happen. And oftentimes we see these conflicts in small and growing companies. Um, and the results of these types of interactions is a chilling effect. And so um, di diverse candidates or, you know, marginalized em employees will, will speak up only once, just once, and say, I think there are some genuine problems right now, right? They're going out of their way to be uncomfortable to talk about problems. And their supervisor, their colleague, their coworker, who who often, you know, is is not does does not share this person's experience, will say, "I think you're just overreacting. I don't really think that that's true. That's not my experience. This is a perfectly equitable meritocracy. Um, there's no way anything could be bad in any way at all." And the people that raise these complaints never talk again. And in, in, in fact, they they actively think about leaving. And it's these everyday conversations that I don't think founders um, and, and leaders and CEOs and HR are thinking about enough. Okay, so that's a good, that's a good first step. And, and, and look, that's, that's heady stuff right there, right? I mean, I think that's not just something that you can go, check, we've got that, right? That, that's a whole cultural change. That's a whole yeah. mindset change, not only for the leadership tops down, but throughout the organization. Mm -hmm. um, What's, what's fascinating, especially with the earlier stage companies is it's easier, never easy, but easier to do those things when you've got five people, 10 people in the company yes. 
super challenging once you get to those critical mass of 100, 200, 250, almost impossible to start writing the ship once you've got that kind of mass of people in, because now you're talking about, uh, you're talking about to a large degree, some of what Uber is going through right now, right? Mm -hmm. Having to change the culture with all of those people in it. And uh, you can, you can do an ad, you can do some PR work, you can talk about how you're changing, but fundamentally those people there and they're wired in a certain way and you've already established some of these norms with the company. Yeah, it's extraordinarily difficult. And for companies, you know, that are going through this sort of culture change uh, that are big, it's extraordinarily difficult because you have to grapple with the fact that some of your talent will leave, right? If if half of your workforce was drawn to your company because it felt like a frat house, well, if your company is trying to become more inclusive, half of these people are going to be unhappy and you need to deal with that fact, right? Like diversity is, is talked about in a way where it seems like everyone wins, but honestly, not everyone wins, right? Sometimes like we, we have to make these strategic choices of I want more of this type of person and less of this type of person. And that's really difficult. And also, you know, there are some legal issues with just saying we don't want people like you and you can't just fire people based on their identity. And that's, that's super sticky. But in terms of the culture, when, when we say we don't want people of culture X, well, we need to expect that we're going to have quite a few people quitting and be ready for that too. Well, and, and I think this is the, it's the pull quote for the, the interview. Not everybody wins, right? Because yeah. you're, you're spot on correct. And I think there's this belief of that this can all be additive, right? So we're going to have our core base and then we're going to just layer on diversity on top of that. No way. And that's from your point of view, that's not how it happens. No. And, and believing that, you know, we, we can all win, um, creates such a huge amount of tension in, in the companies that I've worked with, right? Like, basically, the, the more na- naive leaders and founders are around the value of diversity, the, the less trust you see from diverse employees or marginalized employees or employees of different races and genders and ethnicities than the dominant one, whatever terminology we want to use, the less trust you see among this group. And so, like, the way I see it is... If your company isn't fully there and you manage to get some diverse talent on board, that's that's like a ticking clock. Like that diverse talent is will is willingly giving up their um, their trust in you, their kind of desire to do good, and they're hoping that if they just stick it out long enough, your company will will turn around for the better, right? And and oftentimes it's it's not a trade off that founders are aware of. They just say, oh, we have our talent. Um, She looks pretty happy. She's not talking too much during meetings. She's kind of stressed, but whatever. We're all stressed, right? Like we don't have a problem anymore. And that talent every single day is thinking, should I stay? I hate this place. Should I stay? Oh, but it's so good. If I stay, it'll be good for the next woman who comes on board. Like I need to stay, you know, for, for the next people that come in and these conversations just never happen, right? People are not aware that it's so difficult for minorities and marginalized folks within these predominantly white male, heterosexual, cisgender, Christian, elite college educated founders. Okay. So let's, let's talk, 
Let's talk some brass tacks, right? Again, we, we you know, established pretty early on, there's no sort of just secret punch list here. But sure. if, if you're a founder and you've been moved from what you've just said, you've had some realizations that you've been thinking about this in a non-holistic way, that maybe you're only scratching the surface and you're only looking at the optics, right? So we talked a little bit about building the vulnerability and safety, but where does a founder go? What are some of the resources? Um, and, you know, include yourself in here, but where do they go to get more information to become um, more aware, more, more expert in this as a topic? What are, what are the resources out there you'd recommend or steer them toward? Totally. So the very first thing to do if you are, you know, listening right now is to like close your eyes and tell yourself you're still a good person, right? That's very important. Um, <laughs> It's the most important thing, especially when, you know, you are grappling with tough information. So now that you've done that, or I don't know, take a few seconds. Now that you've done that, um, the first thing I think you should seek out is take a look at what people are saying about companies like yours, right? Go online, look up, um, I don't know, Google search like tech company racist critique, or something, right? Just random search terms on Google and read what people are saying. Read about some of these cultural issues and immerse yourself in the stories, right? So, so don't, don't look particularly for you know, 10 practices you can do to become a better founder tomorrow. Um, instead, look at like, I worked for this company. I had a lot of faith that I could make it better. I was wrong, right? Like look for stories like that, even though they're gonna make you extremely uncomfortable, because these give you insight into what some folks are thinking. These give you insight into some of the experiences that people have. And once you familiarize yourself with these stories, um, there are some genuine practices that can help. You can seek out uh, implicit bias training, diversity training. You can learn more about how to create less sexist workplaces. You can listen to, so, uh, you know, I, I recently spoke for a podcast called uh, Battle Tactics for Your Sexist Workplace, right? Um, you can listen to podcasts. You can talk to experts. Um, you can go to community events in the area you live in and, like, listen in to what folks' experiences are. Um, but the, the thing to do is to sit in your discomfort and to be humble about it and to learn and listen. Like that's the most important thing you can do. And if, if you want me to list out some practices that I think are, are helpful as well, um, beyond the diversity training and the implicit bias training, you can also look at things like formalizing your benefits. Um, you can look at things like um, changing your, your hiring process to, to be identity blind. And so, you know, you use a service like, I don't know, Entello to scrub all of the information uh, that's not relevant to the job out from resumes so that you're, you're not biased when you're reviewing them. Um, you can switch from interview panels into, you know, more, um, more skill related interviews and like have them actually like do the work or work with a client or like work on you work, work on a temp basis or something like that. Um, there are lots and lots of practices out there depending on what your company and, and, and what your field is that you can use to make a start um, on this important DNI work. Well, and I think one of the things that's really key that I, that I heard and, and heard uh, time and time again was, you know, your notion of, of sitting in your discomfort and, and realizing that this entire process is an uncomfortable place that 
while it's the right thing to do, it's hard, it's challenging, it's difficult, and and not everybody is going to win. And so, you know, part of what your approach is, again, we've joked that it's not the, you know, the the five steps toward dot, 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 mm-hmm. but that the uh, the approach has to be being empathetic, humble, listening, spending time, effort, and energy to really understand, walk the mile in, in your people's shoes, the people around you, what's working, what's not working. And once you start to get your arms around that, then you can start to build some programs. But it's not something that even the best of consultants can come in and just put a bow around. Exactly. And you, you need to be ready to hear the worst, right? So you need to be ready for someone to come in and say, your organization is, let me think of the worst thing. Uh, your organization is a white supremacist, like, like den, right? Like a den of white supremacy. Like, I don't know, like as, like as, I don't think there would be any founder alive that would be happy to hear that. And if there is, I don't want to work with them. Um, but imagine you've just heard that, right? Like, I would have such a hard time grappling with that personally. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not white, so that would be stranger if I led a white supremacist organization. <laughs> but like, that's so hard, right? Dealing with something like that is so hard. And so, you know, in that situation, that absolute worst situation, right? Here are some things you can do. You can say, hey, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I really appreciate that you trust me enough to share this feedback with me. Um, this is really hard to hear from me because, you know, that's that's not my perception, but I'd love to hear a little more about why you feel that way. What are some of the things that lead you to feel this way? What are some of your critiques for the organization? Is there anything I can do to support you in this moment? Is there anything I can do to support you as a manager, as a boss, as the founder? Um, and then, and then just kind of sitting with it, right? They're not going to fix your organization's problems on the spot. It's your job to listen, to be humble, um, and to take what feels like an attack um, as genuine positive feedback about your organization and say, wow, I can't believe that this person taught me something about my organization that I don't know. Maybe I should look into this and, and keep learning about it. Right? That's the best response you could possibly have. And the perks are, if you respond in that way, this person is more likely to, to A, stay at your organization instead of you know, turning in their, yeah. their, their two weeks the next day, um, and B, to keep telling you things about how to make things better. Well, and, and I think that's the difficult journey here, right? Um, and, and we'll start to recap here a little bit, and then I'll give you a, a kind of a minute to do some closing thoughts. But you know, one of the things that I, I, I think uh, – I heard fairly consistently over the last, you know, year, 18 months was, yeah, we need more diversity. We need to do a better job, but, but overall we're doing pretty well that the belief in the organization was, you know, we've got a couple of women and, and, you know, we hired a couple of Muslims and we, you know, we've got a Latino and we've got a a black woman. And, and, and so they went down the sort of the demographics of it. And what they failed to really understand was the impact that was being had on those people, that they weren't being listened to, that they were being marginalized, that they were having high turnover rates in in some of those affected areas. And so I think most people think they're doing an okay job, could do better. Um, But what you're talking about here is, hey, when you start scratching the surface, you may find out that you're not all that you think you are. Right. And that, that uncomfortability is something that you need to be ready for right. and to accept and to look at and say, okay, well, now what can we do with this information? 
and treat it as new information, not as an attack. Right. Here's, here's a fun practice. Um, find your marginalized employees, right? So employees of different races and different genders and different sexualities, um, have them get together and, and pay them a little more for doing this because this is extra work and have them come up with a set of quarterly goals to meet around DNI. Have them come up with it. Not, not your CEO, not the founder, have them come up with it. And then try to hold yourself to the thing that they come up with you're almost certainly going to fail every single time. You're going to fail embarrassingly, right? They are, they are going to say things like, have full 50-50 gender parity by 2020. Like, hell no, right? Like, your organization has two women in it. Like, you're not going to have 50 women, right, in two or three years. And so you're going to have to deal with the fact that your company is not, in fact, doing all right. Your company is, in fact, failing on DNI. And that's such a terrible place to feel like, but it's, it's, it's a uniquely valuable place to be in for realizing the work that you can do moving forward. All right. Perfect. Lily, this has been such a, uh, enlightening, moving, amazing conversation and, and has taken in a, gone in a different direction than was even started in the beginning of this you know, baseline conversation of what is diversity and inclusion. And, and I think the insights here were remarkable and uh, I've not seen this played out as well in other venues and other locations as we talk about diversity and inclusion within an organization. So thank you for joining. You've got a book. Pitch the book. Let's tell, tell us about it. Yeah. So Gender Ambiguity in the Workplace, Transgender and Gender Diverse Discrimination. I wrote it with Dr. Fogarty. Um, came out in 2018, um, last year. You can find it on Amazon. Um, you can also go to bit.ly slash gambiguity. So gambiguity, um, that's the short link to it. Um, it's, it's a book about the discrimination experiences faced by people of gender minorities in the workplace. Um, talks about you know, things companies can do to make their companies a more inclusive place for people of all genders. Um, and I don't know, I think it's a really interesting book. It was based on some research that I did while I was at Stanford University, and I'm quite proud of it. It, it feels like it was just yesterday that I was doing the book campaign for it, but I guess that's last year now, so <laughs> moving on to bigger and better things. Um, my next book, The Ethical Sellout, will be out um, hopefully this fall, so keep an eye out for that. Um, slightly different topic, but very relevant to all of us. Oh, well, Lily, it's fantastic. We'll look forward to seeing the new book come out. Um, you'll be pitching the first book forever. So, <laughs> you know so, so don't think that that's ever going to end. And thank you for, for coming on and joining and having this really frank directed conversation and having a, an, an eye opening point of view in terms of, um, you know, how we not only think about it, but how we put it into practice. And, I keep coming back to this idea of the uncomfortability of it, the the place that it's a sort of humbling moment for people when you really get beyond scratching the surface and sort of patting yourself on the back and saying, we're doing, we're doing pretty well here, really understanding what that means and not using it as a, as an opportunity to give up not using it as an opportunity to say, well, you know, we're never going to fix that, but using it as an opportunity to propel yourself forward with new data, new information to really become a more inclusive organization, which is what I think a lot of the founders truly desire. Yeah. 
I absolutely agree. And, you know, you can always hire a consultant to help you with that discomfort, right? Like, don't just hire someone to tell you the five things you should do. Hire someone to help you actually do those things. Like Perfect. It. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent place to leave. Well, Lily, thank you so much for joining today. It was an absolute pleasure. And we wish you every success for 2019 for the first book. And as you prepare to launch your second book. Um, thank you, Todd. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast. I learned so much from Lily in terms of the depth of the issue, in terms of diversity and inclusion, how challenging it is, how complex it is, and how at times things may actually get more uncomfortable in your organization. And what does that look like? She has done a phenomenal job of breaking this down and working with organizations to help them understand it and find a path through it. I would strongly suggest that you follow her on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. It's Lily Zhang, that's L-I-L-Y-Z-H-E-N-G 308. Once again, L-I-L-Y-Z-H-E-N-G 308. You can also find everything you need to know about her on foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co, the place where exceptional founders grow. If you have not had an opportunity to read the book, Beyond Product is now available in ebook format and shot up the charts to the number one hot new release on February 5th for its ebook release. Very excited. If you have not had an opportunity to download and read it, you may get the first chapter complimentary of foundersplace.co. Just go to foundersplace.co and sign up. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you have a fantastic week. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.